Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Our focus is verse 12, but we will read verse 9 through 15. Again, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Let us now read the Word of God. Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Here ends the reading of God's Holy Word, let us go to God in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're talking Lord's Prayer here. And and now we're focusing on verse 12. Verse 12 specifically is give us is and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, the question is, asked by many church members across every church, uh, and specifically, even if the church has been around for a while, even if the person's been in church for a while, if a new pastor comes in, eventually the question comes, which is it, pastor? Is it debts? Is it trespasses? Or is it sins? Now, if you were here in person, those who are here in person... Raise your hand for debts. Like, which one is it? Is it debts? No? Nobody here raise their hand. Comment on social media if this is your preference, if debts is your preferences. Is it trespasses? Who here thinks it's trespasses? Yeah, we've got a few hands, and and those are people who come here every Sunday and are used to it. And, And who has it as sins? So we're split between sins and trespasses and no debts and debtors. Well, guess what, folks? Matthew uses debts, so we're going to use debts today. But all three of them have been used and it within the Lord's Prayer. Matthew uses debts, and most translations has the Gospel of Luke, where he has Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray using trespasses or sins. But all three come to the same conclusion of sins, debt not being what you owe the credit card company, not that kind of debt, but debt as a common expression for the impact of sin in our lives. When we sin, we then owe God death. For the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. And so we become indebted to God. Trespasses. Its its translation is to miss the mark, to be way off course. But that would imply that we were even trying to hit the mark. Both expressions lead to the same thing, sin and our nature. But because Matthew uses debts, that's how we will study today. And so debts, as we said, implies that something is owed. Now, before we can really dive into this too far, 
We need to fully grasp the full character of God. See, God is holy and God is love. He's not one or the other, but he is both. His full character encompasses his holiness and his lovingness. It's all of it. God cannot be one without the other. When we forget or when we overemphasize one over the other, we miss out on a lot of who God is and his nature. And so, for example, if we put an emphasis on God being holy, it would lead us in our Christian lives to look and be more legalistic. That is, to have more rules that need to be followed exactly to the T, and every misstep is a stumbling block that requires almost another atonement. It's demanding perfect obedience with no room for errors. Is God holy and just? Yes, but God is also loving and gracious. And when we just focus on his on God being holy, we miss the loving and the gracious. We forget that he is also rich in mercy. However, the exact opposite is also true. When we overemphasize and focus myopically with blinders on, on that God is only love, not looking at his holiness at all, then it leads us and we become as Christians, as universalists, that God suddenly permits and allows everything, that everything is accepted and everything is affirmed. And that is not the case. For from the very beginning, God has had a people. And they have been set apart from the world. There are distinct differences. But when we focus only on God is love, we miss that God is also holy and just that there would be some guidelines, that there would be some guardrails to who his people would be and what they would look like. So before we can even dive into the debt we owe, we have to fully encompass and remember that God is holy and just and loving and gracious. This encompasses the full character of God. Now I say that because God is holy. And he does demand perfection. And so whenever we sin, a debt arises between us. Right? This is the language Matthew says Jesus uses. A debt, forgive us our debts. A debt comes between us. A space exists. Our relationship is torn. A chasm is made. God, we were with God whole there in the garden. And then sin entered the world. And then a debt was owed. A chasm was made. The relationship was broken. And we moved away from God. And no matter what we do, we cannot erase the debt. There's not enough good works for us to shovel in the chasm to be able to get back to God. Because God is holy and just. But because he is also loving and gracious, and rich in mercy. He sends us his son, Jesus the Christ, to live the life we couldn't live, the perfect life. 
And then he goes to the cross and sheds his blood, perfect, spotless, blameless blood of the Lamb of God to pay the debt, to fill the chasm that we created. Not the chasm God created. God didn't leave us. God didn't rebel against us. We turned our backs on him. We rebelled against him. And yet, while we were yet sinners, as Paul writes, Christ died for us as an atonement, a ransom paid for the debt of our sin so that we would be forgiven, so that we would be restored and we would be redeemed. Now, to fully grasp and understand this, we also have to reflect on our own nature. So we've reflected on the character of God and the fullness of God as holy, just, loving, gracious, and rich in mercy. But it also requires to look at our own nature, which is a sinful, rebellious nature. That, in fact, we are sinners in need of grace. See, it's in this realizing of our condition that we also see our need. And it leads us to gratitude for what God has done. Because we sinned, we created this debt, and we began moving away from God, and we rebelled, we turned our backs on him, and, and we left him, and we kept going. And then while we were yet sinners, so while we still weren't looking for God, while we were still going in the opposite direction, the desires of our own bellies, not seeking after him, he sent Christ to fill in this chasm for sins past, present, and future. Debts is plural for a reason. It's not a single debt that we owed, but all of the debts for the great chasm. And then while we are still in rebellion, Christ dies and fills in the chasm. But because he's the good shepherd, you know what he does? He doesn't whistle at us and say, come here. God sent Jesus, and he comes and grabs us by the shoulder, and he turns us around, puts us on his shoulders, and he carries us back home. This is the incredible, supreme, sufficient work of Christ. That when we understand how far away we were from God, how needy we were of grace, and that we had no mind or business of thinking of ever turning back to him. Our shepherd left his flock to come get you. To come pick you up in the darkest valley of your life and to carry you home. This is what Jesus has done despite our sinful nature. And through Jesus, he cancels our debt, the past, the present, and the future. All our debts are paid, which provides the opportunity for our repentance. See, the repentance is the turning away from our sin, from our rebellion, and turning back to God, in which we do in the loving, gracious, merciful arms of Jesus, who walks with us the entire way back, who carries us when we can't walk, 
who brings us the assurance that we do not stand in condemnation, but that nothing can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. See, the Bible tells us. Paul, when he writes the church in Corinth in his first letter in the sixth chapter, tells us that we were bought at a price, and that price was the perfect blood of Jesus shed on that cross. And it's when we understand this that we come to the second half of this petition. Right? The first half of the petition is asking God to forgive us of our debts. And the second half, we declare as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is where we struggle. This is a struggle of the Christian life. It's the question we wrestle with. Well, what does forgiveness look like? How do I forgive? Can I, can I remain angry? Do I have to forget? Do I have to allow them to hurt me again? Pastor, you just don't understand the damage that was done for me. Forgiveness is simply not an option. See, we land there when we forget where we were how far away we were, how big the chasm was that needed to be filled, and how loving and gracious, despite God being holy and just, he was towards us. And so when we pray this prayer and we say, and also as we have forgiven our debtors, we declare that we have forgiven those that have done us wrong that we no longer hold on to it, that we no longer have it as this bitterness that resides in our heart, that we have also forgiven those that have hurt us, that have done damage to us, and we have forgiven those who we declare are our enemies. Jesus has been clear on this through Scripture. Even at the end of this prayer, he clarifies it again. He teaches us to forgive, not if they met our conditions. There are no prerequisites to our forgiveness of others. Because God didn't have any prerequisites to making sure we were forgiven. So Jesus is asked, how many times do we forgive? He says 77 times, seven times. If you're really good at math, you already know the answer. Until you're done forgiving. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in the 17th century, said, unless you forgive others, you read your own death certificate when you recite this prayer. Essentially, if we will not forgive, then are we Christians? See, it takes understanding that God is holy and just and demands perfection. It takes understanding that God is loving and gracious and merciful to see how we could even be forgiven. 
It takes us understanding our sinful nature and condition within us to rebel. It takes us wanting to sing the praises of God's unfailing goodness for the salvation we've received, the gratitude we have in our hearts. For when we see that we received forgiveness we didn't deserve, it becomes a lot easier to do the same with others. Paul teaches the church in Ephesus. In chapter 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. See, the early church, they were called followers of the way, which was the way Jesus led, the way of grace and forgiveness, because he was the way, the truth, and the life. Today, we take on the moniker Christian, and when we translate it, it means like Christ. And it's hard to claim that name. It'd be even foolish for us to do so if we won't do the main thing that Christ came to do for us. Forgive. For he is the way. He is the truth. And he alone is the life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you came and picked us up and forgave us that you canceled the debt that you accepted your son's sacrifice so that we may be whole with you again Lord we pray that the Holy Spirit and his power would reign in our hearts convict us and lead us into the ways of being gracious and generous with forgiveness as you were with us. Lord, we gather because we know how wonderful that forgiveness is that you gave us. And for this, we sing hallelujah. Amen.